Hi, everybody. This is Dr. Eric Corum, founder of AIM7. Welcome back to The Blueprint, where we distill cutting-edge science, leadership, and life skills into simple tactics optimized for your busy lifestyle and goals. Today, I'm joined again by my friend, Alan Aragon. Alan is a nutrition researcher and educator with over 30 years of success in the field. He's worked with some high-profile celebrities, but what we talk about today affects a lot of people, including myself, and that's cholesterol. Today, Alan unpacks the role of genetics in our cholesterol and the actionable steps you can take through diet and exercise to improve your blood lipid profile. But before we get started, if you've been listening to the show for a while and you love it, would you do me a favor and leave us a comment and review on whichever listening platform you're joining us from? Because here's why. These platforms and their algorithms leverage these comments and reviews to push podcasts out as like news and noteworthy and to push it in front of new audiences. And to help us grow, we need your comments and reviews. So we'd really appreciate it if you take two seconds, pause the show right now and do that. All right. Now for my conversation with Alan. So let's lean in and learn from the best. I want to talk about something that's a little bit personal for me. It's cholesterol. And to me, this is one of those kind of mysteries. And I would love for you to clear it up if you can. What are the primary drivers behind our cholesterol level? And are there things that we can do to change these ratios? What should we really be concerned about for longevity and heart health? And then maybe we can talk about some different sources of these fats. But I'm just very curious because this is something that I eat really healthy. And it's something where I don't have a very high cholesterol level, but my HDL and LDL are just not where I'd want them to be. I would love to know, like, what are the drivers for these things? Yeah. Okay. So the big driver, um, and I hate to say this, but the big driver is genetics. (laughs) So, Mm. (laughs) you know, your proclivity for having um, higher levels of uh, LDL and, and or HDL, that, that is a genetic predisposition for sure. Mm. And so the best that, that anybody can do is follow what we know to Im- improve blood lipids as far as uh, dietary okay. selection goes. And that usually is going to come down to reducing the amount of land animal fat <laughs> that that we take in and so uh, there are certain exceptions there that are that are worth mentioning so so generally speaking land animal fat but when you look at the literature full fat dairy does not seem to contribute to adverse changes in blood lipids with the exception mm. of butter. Okay, butter does. <laughs> but full fat milk, full fat yogurt. Darn it. <laughs> <laughs> and cheese. I mean, it tends to have neutral neutral effects mm. uh, on blood lipids. And these factors in the diet would only tend to contribute negatively if they're part of a diet that's overall unhealthy or overall amounting to a surplus of total calories that are accumulating and then, you know, with the individual gaining body fat. And so sort of, you know, regardless of dietary composition, just simply getting leaner through the process of creating a caloric deficit through either caloric intake reduction and or increased energy output. And then, you know, with that resulting in reduction of total body fat, that tends to just automatically translate to 
better blood fat <laughs> profiles when you, when you mm -hmm. get leaner. Right. But if there's really not much realistic margin for an individual to get leaner, then you're really looking at food selection where you, you gravitate as much as you can towards the in quotes, healthy fats. And those are going to be marine fat. So, so fish fat, fatty fish, avocado, nuts, seeds, and um, let's see if I'm, I'm missing any fat source in particular. Generally speaking, unsaturated fats. So nuts, seeds, mm. avocado, extra virgin, olive oil, and even things like sesame oil have shown positive effects on blood lipids. Coconut oil, there's some controversy around that coconut oil because it's largely a saturated fat source, but they've seen... Uh, divergent effects when when extra virgin coconut oil is used versus uh you know the the refined version of coconut oil which, which can also in some cases be hydrogenated uh so mm. extra virgin coconut oil tends to show neutral to even beneficial effects on blood lipids if you know if you favor in increases in hdl so mm. As long as, as you stick to those sources, and with, with coconut oil, there's, there's still a debate raging around that. So that's not necessarily a source that you would want to go crazy with. But um, it's saturated? Yeah. Because, yeah, because it's a saturated fat source. And, but yeah, I've looked at the literature on that, and there's like five, maybe six studies by now. And out of those five studies, only one of them showed adverse effects on on a blood lipid profile. The other hmm. vast majority showed neutral effects and a couple of them showed no change in LDL with a, a slight increase in HDL, which is not a bad thing. So yeah, with lower the saturated fat in the diet, the formal recommendation of the major health agencies is to keep it under 10% of total calories. The interesting thing is population-wide, we're only eating saturated fat at like 11% of total calories. So it's not like something that, that needs to change incredibly majorly at the population level. But mm. um, yeah, if people just simply gravitate towards that avocados, nuts, extra virgin olive oil, basically a almost like a Mediterranean type of model in terms of the fat sources. And once again, I'll reiterate that full fat dairy, with the exception of butter, full fat dairy does not seem to adversely affect blood lipids. And neither does another saturated fat source, which would be um, dark chocolate. That doesn't hmm. adversely affect blood lipids. Great in spite. news. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I know you, you got to love chocolate in spite of its saturated fat content. So get leaner, gravitate towards those those sources, the, the in quotes, healthy sources of dietary fat, and really try to moderate and minimize other um, land animal fats, with the exception of uh, full fat dairy, which for because of, of the other constituents of the food matrix, have mm -hmm. neutral effects on blood lipids. What about fiber intake? Okay, so that's the other other piece of um, improving blood lipids is including the right kinds of other other foods in in the span of the food groups and that would be mm -hmm. just fruits and vegetables in general 
those will improve mm -hmm. blood lipids by virtue of their fiber content and just a range of phytochemicals that work together in order to uh, mm. mitigate adverse changes in, in blood lipids. And fiber is something that has been studied just forever and ever. And they've come down to the conclusion that in order to kind of, you know, do what you can to maximize my health span and, and just a range of, of health parameters, at least at the intermediate level, the blood markers of health, 14 grams per, per thousand calories that you consume is the guideline, is the, in quotes, the formal guideline of, this has been published by the, Amer uh, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics and in uh, one of their position stands within the last 10 years, it could have been a 2015 position stand if I'm remembering correctly. But yeah, that that's their position. So with the, your typical 2,000 calorie intake, you're looking at 28 grams of fiber to consume. And then you're within the guidelines of what we know to be a healthy intake of fiber. And that will uh, positively impact blood lipid levels. So what about people that supplement? Like obviously we should be eating the fruits and vegetables, but people mm -hmm. that want to supplement with something like psyllium husk fiber, what do you think about that? You know, that actually does does work as well. It, it does work mm. for um, improving blood lipid levels. And it would seem intuitive that you can just, you know, take a fiber supplement and have it do positive things. But but it does. <laughs> it does work. And, and the effects, can, mm. arguably, they're, they're modest, but they're still significant. But I, I personally would rather see people consuming foods that are fiber rich in their whole form rather than supplementing with fiber. Oh, I got you. I'm just saying like, if you're eating your fruits and vegetables, you know, mm, okay. cause like I for somebody I like myself, I need mm. to eat probably 3000 calories a day. And sometimes it yeah. just gets getting that much fiber can make you feel bloated. Right. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so, cause they're the bulk of the food. And so I, I try to get vegetables with every single meal that I eat. Yeah. But I was recently just like, you know what, I might want to start just to make it a little bit easier in the morning. Cause I like to make like um, eggs and some veggies and that kind of stuff and just have some, add a little bit of that in to get a little bit of more bulk into my food as far as the fibers concerned. Yeah. So big picture, you know, reducing the amount of land animal fat, focusing on fatty fish, avocados, nuts, seeds, extra virgin olive oil, more fruits and vegetables, increasing fiber intake and getting leaner. Like that's kind of the recipe for improving your blood lipids. That's what it boils down to. And there is a positive effect of making sure you're physically active, but that kind of comes with the territory of maintaining good body composition, maintaining mm -hmm. a certain degree of leanness and, and muscularity. And so that's kind of a given, you know, but that is actually, yes, that is the formula. And it's, it's really interesting, Eric, because there's huge factions of people, especially online, who completely dismiss the idea that blood lipids are a thing to even care about. And, and it's usually mm -hmm. people in the keto carnivore camp who tend to get, you know, blood lipid um, profiles that are out of normal range and that would concern, you know, their, their, their treating physicians and stuff. It, it's an interesting thing to look into because while I'm, I'm telling you what I'm telling you that 
there's a whole faction of folks who would disagree. Yeah, I understand that. I, I interface with some of those folks and I think there is some solid research. You can tell me if I'm wrong that higher levels of LDL do not positively impact uh, longevity. So they can negatively impact longevity. And so it is something to be concerned about. Now, I think that our first course of action should be exercise, body composition, and what we're taking in, right? This formula that you discussed. Yeah. And yeah. anytime you drift off into these extremes, like, look, if somebody's obese and they lose a ton of weight doing keto, man, I think that, tell me if I'm wrong, but I think that's a win to start with, right? Yeah. They're, I agree. You know, maybe they're no longer 50 pounds overweight, uh, central obesity is down, they're moving more, like phenomenal. But they're, you know, you may want to kind of look at the whole picture once you kind of start getting to these certain states about, you know, what are the long term implications for those things? Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that? Definitely. Losing body fat, going from a state of overweight or obesity down to normal weight to lean, any which way you do it is going to show improvements in just the range of, of clinical markers of health. However, what you maintain for years and decades, once you get there, it can determine your, your lifespan and your health span. Mm -hmm. And it, it is true that the number one cause of death, like period, whether you're talking about infectious diseases or chronic diseases, is coronary artery disease. Or, mm. or some, you know, synonymously ischemic heart disease. That that's the number one cause of death globally. With that in mind, people are dying of something, and we've got a bunch of data, both observational and experimental, that point to the fact that there's steps in that process that we need to keep an eye on. So, right, high LDL levels, high ApoB levels. Um, just blood lipid profiles that are that are off. Also, you know, we can look at stuff in a different way as well through like coronary artery calcium scanning. Um, sometimes looking at blood lipids, it can tell some of the story, but not necessarily all of it. And some people are just built differently where they can maintain blood lipids that are out of normal ranges, but outlive the people who have blood lipids in normal ranges just because that's how they're that's how they are genetically. And, and so a lot of it is just keeping an eye on, on the many factors that would indicate health or throw up red flags. And it's not necessarily just like putting blood lipids up on a pedestal. You kind of have to look at sort of everything in the big picture. Thanks again for listening to the Blueprint Podcast. And if you enjoyed today's show, do me a favor and take a picture of the podcast art and share it on social media, specifically Instagram, because that's where Alan's at and add us on it and leave us a comment or a question and we'll be happy to answer it. Thanks again for listening and I'll catch you on the next episode.